Today we are starting a brand new series this morning that I'm really pumped and excited about. It's going to last us for the month of June, and uh, for the next four weeks we will be talking about the Daniel Dilemma, and this comes from a book that was written by Chris Hodges, and it's called The Daniel Dilemma, and what we're going to look at is the dilemma that Daniel faced in uh, living in a culture that was anti God and how he navigated that uh, with his life and also with the lives of his friends as well. And so it's going to be an exciting series, and I hope you'll invite someone to be with us next week as well. Uh, we want to uh, begin today by giving you a little bit of background, so I'm going to cover some things that will help you to maybe understand the book of Daniel where maybe you didn't understand uh, the book of Daniel before, and uh, the dilemma that he faced in that culture. Uh, in the 1960s in America, things began to shift and change a little bit in our nation, just to kind of give you a perspective. Uh, it was in that decade that America decided not to have prayer any longer in schools or to use the Bible uh, as a resource uh, in our public school system. And so uh, all of prayer, all of Bible reading uh, was removed from schools. Now, I can remember uh, movies changing as well. Uh, when I grew up as a kid, uh, my superheroes did not cuss, ever. And uh, they did not misuse alcohol, ever. But that's not the case today. Uh, we live in a culture where there are moral messes and vulgar uh, statements that are given out and uh, superheroes that are doing some things that maybe uh, we didn't grow up with years ago. And so in that culture, what do we do? Uh, how do we handle that? How do we handle that tension of living godly lives in an ungodly culture? Well, Daniel is a storybook, and maybe you grew up with some of these stories. They're pretty famous, uh, Lion's Den, and also a fiery furnace, and so if you grew up like I did in Sunday school, you probably heard these stories more than once. But Daniel is a 12-chapter book. Uh, the first six chapters are much of a uh, storyline of, of the fiery furnace, of the lion's den. But then the last six chapters of the book are more about Daniel being a prophet, putting on a prophet hat and uh, prophesying about the last days, the end times, and what that's going to look like. And it's interesting that when the Bible was put together, it was divided up uh, into four sections. That is the original Bible, the Old Testament. There were the first five books of the Bible, which were the history books of, of law, and then also uh, there was the main history of Israel, the kings and all that that came along, uh, some of the prophets that came even during that time, and then it makes a major shift into poetry, uh, if you like the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, books like that. And then we get into the prophets, and even those are divided between the minor prophets and the major prophets. Not that one's better than another, it's just they're longer than the other. So the major prophets are longer books, 
and the minor prophets are smaller books. So it wasn't chronological, but it's interesting that Daniel and his writing is put in the prophetic section. And I think it's the Holy Spirit's way of telling us that these are things that you're going to need to navigate. These are things that you're going to need to live with in the future. And so today, when we have a future where the culture is changing and shifting, uh, Daniel is a great example for us on how to navigate this. And it's in this spot that Daniel comes along and uh, shares with us how to do this. Now, uh, understand that Daniel uh, lived spot on. But what had happened is the nation he lived in rejected God. And just a, kind of a side note here, uh, you can get in positions and have things happen in your life, not because of what you chose, but because of what other people chose. And so, uh, in a nation today that is choosing to not have prayer in school, to not have the Bible in school any longer, and do some different things, uh, it might affect the way that we're able to live and go about our Christian lives. You know, our nation was founded as one nation under God, and there are people who would like to have that phrase removed uh, because they feel like it, we no longer are a nation under God. But I believe that um, it will cause us some problems, just like it did for the nation of Israel, when we kick God out of our culture and out of our society and uh, wind up uh, paying the price for it. And so Daniel did that. He and his friends were exiled into another nation called Babylon. They were taken captive. And we're going to pick up the story in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. If you have a Bible, go ahead and look. Uh, if you don't, we'll have it on the screen. In the third year, the reign of Jeho Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So they carried off these articles and some of the people uh, to the temple of his God and put the treasure uh, house of his God. Uh, they put that treasure there. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the king or the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Now, get this. They didn't kill everyone. Uh, they took some of the best people hostage and said, we're, we're just going to morph you into our culture. They were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them daily an amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after they were to enter the king's service. 
They were indoctrinated, and that's a playbook for today. You just need to take note of this because this can happen to us, and we won't even notice it, that we're being indoctrinated, that we're learning the language. We're learning uh, what's going on with culture, and that's what they wanted these young men to do. They wanted them to adapt to their culture, and the enemy still uses culture to get to us today. Now, among those who were chosen from some of the, were from some of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Notice that they wanted to change their names. Your name is a sign of ownership. You know, when people get married, they take on a spouse's name because they say, okay, now I'm no longer a separate person. I'm a part of you now. And so we are living in a culture where we understand that name means ownership. Well, they wanted them to get a new ownership. They wanted them to become what they wanted them to be. And so uh, your name is something that you believe about yourself. And, and you may have gotten a tagline. You may have gotten a name from people on a playground or something as stupid or fat or ugly or whatever. And you could still be living with that name 20 years later. It's important the name that you associate with. So I want to ask you a question. Are you living by the name that someone else gave you? Or are you living by the name that God has given you and spoken over your life? You know, culture has an agenda. And so we're going to look at how culture wants to change our identity. Culture wants to cause us to be different. And the devil will try to change your identity, to make you believe something about yourself that is absolutely not true. It's not true. And we're going to see how Daniel and his friends, they were given these new names, just like the enemy will try to rename us and get us to believe something that's not true about ourselves, but give in to the cultural influence around us. Now, as a church, I want to say that we are not about the hype. We are about the help. We are about not just hyping you, but helping you. And I mean that. Uh, if you are struggling with your identity, if you're struggling on your spiritual journey, we want to help you because we believe God has purpose for your life, that God has reason for you to be here, that he has a name that he wants to share with you that will help you to let go of your past and to grab hold of your future that he has always had for your life. Now, don't just take my word for it. You can talk to people around here about this. I was talking to somebody recently who had come through our starting point class, and uh, they said, do you know in that starting point class, I learned to call my heavenly father, heavenly father, 
Before that, I didn't really understand uh, doing that or what that fully meant. But by taking that class, by going to starting point, being a part of that group, I learned how much of a heavenly father that he truly is. So that is awesome. And you could take that next step. Or maybe like many people here at Crossroads, you could go to on-ramp. And you could find your identity, not just in Christ, but in his church and what God has for you as a person, where he would have you to serve, what he would have you to do that would make a difference in someone else's life and help you to live your life in purpose. Also, a lot of people, more people last year than ever before, and now this year, it looks like more people than even last year are taking the next step of water baptism. And after this service today, you can go to a class and you can learn about your next step of water baptism. Many people feel like that was their next step. That was what launched them into a growth pattern. It's what helped them to feel like I am fully immersed in Jesus. I am all in. Uh, going into that water, I felt like I was making a statement. So our names are important. Who, how we associate ourselves is huge. So let me just go through these names that are in the Bible uh, that were given to these men. You know, the first name is Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. But they changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which means lady protect the king. It's interesting. They actually gave him a girl name. In this pagan culture, you'll find that there may be perhaps with gender confusion and misunderstandings and misrepresentations. And I'm just telling you, the devil will mess with your relationship with God so much so you don't even know who you are. You don't even know who you're supposed to be. You don't even know what your real identity is. And, and I believe that's what they wanted for Daniel, to lose his identity and to be absorbed into this uh, culture. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. But they changed Hananiah's name to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. So in other words, you know, church stinks, don't go to church, God isn't for you, uh, you don't need God in your life, uh, you know, you, you just uh, go ahead and do what you want to do, and that, that will not just mess up your relationships in your life, it will mess you up spiritually as well, because if you're fearful of God, you're not going to reach out to him. Mishael is the next name, and it did mean who is what God is. To, they changed it, though, to Meshach, which is, I am despised and contemptible and humiliated. So he went from who is what God is to I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. In other words, he went from confidence in who God is to I don't know who God is. To total cowardice, from confidence to cowardice. Azariah meant Yahweh has helped. And that was changed to Abednego, 
which means servant to Nebo, which was a Babylonian god. You see, they were trying to not just define uh, the current situation, but to define the future as well. And I'm telling you, the devil will not only try to define today, he will try to define tomorrow for your life and to lead you into what path he has for you. You let God put the right label on you. And I believe that today, if you just read God's word, you would see that God has put a label on you already. But what my prayer is for you today is it wouldn't just be on you, that name would be in you. That you would believe what God says over what the enemy may say. See, I believe only the maker has the naming rights. That he has the ability to name us. And when culture shifts, you need to know who you are. You need to know who God has made you to be. And you need to be able to stand on what God says. Now, to help us to understand this better, I've asked Cassie Littell, our CSM pastor, to come and share with us her story and to finish this message today. Good morning. When uh, Pastor Craig, Kyle, and I, we went to this pastor's luncheon not too long ago, and Kyle and I, one thing we love about our pastor is that he has such a strong character. He's a man of integrity, and he is the same who he is here as he is throughout the week, and we admire that. We look up to that, and so whenever we get time with him, we want to just ask him questions, pick his brain. And so that's what we were doing in this, in this car on the way to this lunch is we were just picking his brain. Like, you know, what's your story? How did you, how do you stay strong? What keeps you here? And he began to ask us questions as well. And so we were sharing a little bit of our upbringing with him. And a couple weeks later, he came to me and he said, you know what? I was really compelled by your story. And I think it would go really well with what we're starting in June. And so he'd asked me to come up and share parts of my story with you. And so that's what I'm going to do today. And so like Pastor Craig had mentioned, when you aren't strong in your faith and culture comes in to shift and shake you, if you're not strong and if you're not guarded, you can easily fall off. And that is what a little bit of my story is. So I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have parents who took me to church who raised me to know God. I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Though I had really great parents who taught me how to have a strong moral compass and to be a leader. And so I was raised with ethic and moral compass, but I was not raised to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so when I hit the teen years, all of those things went out the window when I got my first boyfriend. And everything became about what will, this per- what will keep this person in my life? What will keep me popular? Who, what, you know, what do I need to do to ensure that people like me? And I began to let go of my moral compass and adapt to the compass of culture, what culture told me to do. And I did that for the course of four years. I dated him into college as well, and it began to completely change the trajectory of my life. Well, midway through this relationship, I end up in a physics class in high school where my public high school teacher begins to share the gospel with me. And so while I'm learning about Jesus and how to have a relationship with him, I'm also in the process of throwing away my own personal goals and my own personal moral compass. So it wasn't a light switch, right? I didn't hear the gospel, give my life to him, completely radically changed my life. But it also wasn't a light switch with how I slowly 
became far from who I said I was going to be either. It was a slow fade. It was a slow fade into darkness, and it was a process for me to fully give my life over to Jesus. And so let's pick up where Pastor Craig left off in Daniel, chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. It says, now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. We'll continue on 11 through, 13, 11 through 14. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of other young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And so why we're going to be looking at Daniel's life for the next four weeks for the month of June is because Daniel sets an example here. This is the beginning of the testing that will continue to go on for Daniel and his friends. And what we'll begin to see is we will begin to see how Daniel's faith helps him overcome these trials. That when he is tested, he stays strong. See, when I was tested, I wasn't strong. When culture told me who I needed to be, I was not strong. Though I had a strong moral compass and I knew how to be a leader, without a personal relationship with Jesus, I had no reason to hang on to those things. So when culture began to shape who I became, I started to look a whole lot like culture. I allowed relationship after relationship, whether it was friendship or a significant other, define who I became. And so I have a question Pastor Craig wants me to pose for you this morning. Are you ready for the test? When God throws a test into your week, when God throws a test into your life, are you ready? Are you strong? Are you firm? Are your foundations there? So when things come against you, you can stay strong in who you are and not look like culture, but look like who God called you to look like. We, when culture tells us to look away, we can do one of two things. We can come against culture and we can freak out on it, or we can come aligned with culture and blend in. And that's what happens most of the time, right? Culture tells us this is the way you need to look, the way you need to dress. When you turn 21, this is what you need to do. When you go off to college, this is the life you need to have. When you enter a relationship, this is what it's supposed to look like. You live with the person. You do things like a married couple, but you don't actually get married. You, once you're married and you've been married for so long, well, your marriage is just going to eventually become a little bit different and you're going to grow apart, right? Culture has an agenda for what, who, what culture wants us to be, but we don't have to freak out at that. We don't have to be angry and freak out, but we also don't have to blend in. There's actually another way that we can respond to what culture is trying to have us become, Culture wants us to compromise our standards, but we actually can influence culture instead of allowing it to influence us. And the only way the church is going to be able to do that is by having our foundations completely firm in who Jesus is and who we know we are in Christ. And so let's look at Jesus' life a little bit. We're going to look at John 1.14. 
It says this about Jesus. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who became the father, full of grace and truth. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to be full of grace and full of truth. And we're going to look at Daniel's life because we see him live that out. We see him have both grace and both truth. Truth in John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And in, gra- in grace, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, this is, this is my favorite verse. This is my life verse. I absolutely love the way this says it. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, what I love about that so much is that I think God knew the kind of humans he was creating, right? He knew the gift of salvation needed to be a complete gift so that none of us would boast And that it wouldn't be by us and what we earn or what we've created or look what we have done. But instead, it would be a free gift that can only be done by Jesus. Our job in all of salvation is to simply receive the gift. But after we receive that gift, God does have works prepared for us in advance. And I think a lot of times when we read verses like this, we think, oh my gosh, like am I supposed to be a cop or a firefighter? Am I supposed to be a teacher or a salesperson? Am I supposed to do this or supposed to do that? But I think the works that this verse is talking about is actually the works of sanctification, the works of being completely rooted in Jesus, the works of allowing the Holy Spirit to live within you, the works of being the light in an area that is really dark, the work of bringing other people people in on this journey with you. The works of when there is a troubled teenager in your life who consistently goes on this roller coaster of in, out, in, out, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, that they remain faithful, keep the seat pulled up at your dinner table, and continue to invest into that person. The works in advance for when your spouse is very difficult to live with in this season, that you remain a faithful, praying spouse. That when your children are not following the way that you set before them, that we would be the kind of parents who are faithful in prayer and faithful in calling out greatness and faithful in showing up in their lives. The works that God set before us were to be so rooted in Christ that no matter what trial or trouble comes our way, we will be able to look at the enemy and say, not today. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my home, not my finances, not my time. But I am rooted in Jesus and I have the Holy Spirit in me to empower me to live in a way that is set apart from what culture is telling me to live. And I just want to encourage you today, if you were to dig deep and ask yourself, am I passing the test? Am I going through this and recognizing that, you know what, I am not living the way that I know God's calling me to live. I would encourage you to take this summer to get as involved as you can in this place. Yes, I think Crossroads is amazing, but not for the sake of Crossroads, but for the sake of you and your eternity 
And the people in your sphere of influences who need you to be living your full life in Christ so that they can live full life in Christ. I know the weather's getting warm and we want to jump in and, you know, take rest which I, and have fun, which is so good. And I encourage rest. I encourage fun. I'm all about those things. You know what season you need to be in. But I'm saying if you know that you're a little rocky right now, now is not the time to take that break. Now is the time to press in, to be a part of that full life group and let people pour into you and build relationships so that when trouble comes, you can lean in on your friends and they can look you in the face and they can say, you've got this, keep running your race. So that maybe this would be a time where you'd want to step back. Oh, we've got things coming on our schedule, 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 it's, it's, it's crazy and so I want to step back. Maybe you didn't. And try a different part of serving. Dive in a little bit deeper. Who is behind your welcoming face when someone walks through these doors to greet? Who needs to see you fully engaged in your relationship with Jesus so that they can give themselves permission to do that too? And it's not because we want to see things happen here. Well, yes, I believe things, amazing things are happening here. It's because God set work out for you in advance to do. God has people in your life that he wants you to speak life over and win and influence. And I am so thankful that despite the trajectory of my life looking dark and looking bad, my teacher had enough grace to look at me and say, we still have this seat for you. And you can go run and you can go party and you can go be with that guy and you can go live that life that I know is not you, but go do that. This seat will still be here. We will still love you. We will still show up in your life. And maybe some of us need to become some of that. We, who's at your dinner table? And I know I say that a lot. Every time I'm up here, I talk about the dinner table because it has become, that changed my life so much. It has become a part of the DNA of who I want to be, the kind of person that's constantly pulling up a seat at my table for somebody who is broken and needs to experience freedom and needs to experience more of Christ. See, Daniel withstood the struggle, the struggle, the trouble, the test. He did because his foundation was so strong in God. And we can withstand the test too if our foundations are completely found in God. This week I hit a point with... Um, just a circumstance in my life that seems like it's never ending. And right when I feel like, whoa, breakthrough, it's like, well, here we are again. And I've been having this, it seems like an endless cycle. And it's been going on for a long time. And I just finally looked at Kyle this week. And I'm like, you know what I'm done doing? I'm done complaining about this. I'm done talking about this. Like, Satan, you messed with the wrong woman. Like, I'm going to begin to pray the, like, Holy Spirit down on whatever I need to do. I'm done feeling taken out. I'm done being taken out. I'm done allowing myself to come agreement with things that are not right. And my, I share that with you because maybe there are some people in here who need to put their foot down and say, Satan, I'm done. Like, you can't have my home. You can't have my marriage. You can't have my spouse. You can't have my kids. You cannot have my finances. You don't get it. You can't 
have it. And while we don't want to overcredit or give too much any energy towards the enemy, we know that he is after things in our lives too. And so we do need to stand firm. We do need to put him back in his place. And we need to fix our focus on Jesus and allow him to be our foundation so that when struggles come, when temptations are here, we have what it takes to withstand that trial because we do have what it takes to get thrown into a furnace and say, my God will protect me. And he does. Every single time he does. And so what I want us to do this morning is begin to close our eyes so you can go ahead and close your eyes right now. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Did I pass the test this week? When a, when a culture tried telling me who I needed to be, when my friends invited me out, when stress came, did I pray or pour the drink? When I was tempted and we didn't connect, did I reach out to somebody else or did I connect with God to find my, whole, my wholeness there? Are you passing the test in your life this week, last week? And if you need some prayer this morning, just for some courage, some strength, and a reminder that you can do it, I want you to throw your hand up so I can pray over you right now. God, I pray for the hands that are all over this place. Lord, I pray strength right now in your name, believing in this place. God, you will strengthen us. You are fighting for us. You see us. You love us. And so, God, I pray for every single hand that is raised that you would begin to remind us that you have called us and set us apart and offered us a different way to live. God, I believe that out of this place, we will continue to be strengthened in you, focused on you and different. And if you are in this place and you have actually been doing really well and you feel super strong, I want you to lift your hand because I want to pray continued strength over you because it is amazing to be in seasons of strength and I just want to continue to pray that over you. So God, I pray for those who feel strong. Lord, we praise you for strength. God, I praise you that there are people in here who are saying, I am strong. I am focused on, on Jesus. He is giving me the strength I need. And God, I pray continued strength. Lord, what the enemy would want to take away the strength, I pray that you would be stronger and you would fill, continue to fill with your spirit, people in this place who stay strong, stay connected to you. And if you're in this place this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus and you're ready, you want today to be the day that you say, God, I give Jesus permission to stand before you on my behalf. I ask that you would raise your hand so I can pray over you for this. God, I pray for those hands that are raised. Those who are saying, I want to dedicate my life to you. God, I pray that they would uh, reach out to somebody and tell them about you and the decision that they made. And they would understand that what they're doing is giving you, Jesus, permission to stand before God so that we don't have to wear the weight of our sin and our brokenness. Crossroads Church, culture is coming against us, especially, I love that I get to work with teenagers, especially in the summer with some swimsuits, right? Like culture wants to tell us what we need to look like, how we need to act, who we need to be, how we need to attract people. Culture is writing a narrative for us, but we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to be ashamed, but instead we have what it takes 
in Jesus to remain strong, to withstand your fight, to put your foot down, partner with God and say, not today. And for those who are strong and who are finding themselves doing that, I pray that you would continue, continue to look God in the face and ask him to be the person who is being your strength, that he would go on your behalf to strengthen you. And I know that it's tough and that sometimes life brings challenges, but I encourage you to take this summer to completely dive all in like you've never dove in before and watch God begin to absolutely transform all of who you are if you are willing to lay your life down and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and lead you exactly where he's calling you. You are capable of standing strong in the furnace like Daniel. You are capable of overcoming this very hard trial. It does not need to go the way that culture would tell you to take it. Your marriage doesn't need to end in a divorce. You are stronger. Go to Marriage Restored Weekend. Your marriage does not need to be constant berating and bickering. You are stronger. The relationship with your kids that are broken, you can and you will find healing. You are victorious. You are. You, Crossroads Church, are victorious. You can do this. You can withstand the furnace. I believe in you. I believe in us. I believe that even when life comes against us, we are strong. We can do this. With God on our side, filling us with his spirit, we are an unstoppable force. That's scripture. And so I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come down. And I know how this can go. Sometimes we're a little bit hesitant to come down for prayer. But I really would encourage you to come down. Maybe there's not a pressing manner in your life that you feel like you really need prayer for in this moment. But I still ask you to come down here and allow some people to pray over you. You don't have to get detailed. You don't have to bear your life story. But come get some prayer so you can strengthen and you can withstand this battle. And if you're strong, come get some prayer so you can be in that continued strength. Because the enemy would love to take you out. But you're not going to because you're strong, you're rooted, and you are partnering with amazing people who are going to agree with you over the things in your life that you need agreements for. So everybody, stand to your feet right now. Do not leave this place until you come down, receive some prayer, be prayed over, and allow some people to speak some life over you this morning. That is what I have for you this morning. So come down, receive some prayer. We love you guys, and we have a hope you have a great rest of your Sunday.